God, we need you. We need you more than where words can even speak. And we're grateful, so very grateful that you're there for us. And you've given us everything that we need in this life to grow in you. And God, we just want to praise you for that this morning. We look forward to what you're going to speak to us today. We pray in your name. Amen. You guys can be seated. And as you're seated, I'm going to send our kids our K through fifth graders over here with Miss Helen. She's over there, and you guys will have a lot more room because it's amazing to watch them all get up and go. And as our kids are going, I would like to encourage you, if you have your Bibles with you or your digital device, to go to the book of Second Peter, Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter 1, and as you were flipping over there, I do want to let you know that uh, if you're new to the book of Second Peter, it's about six books from the back, so if you hit Revelation, just go back six books and you'll find it there. Second uh, Peter isn't one of those ones that a whole lot of people dive deep into. I hope you had an opportunity this week, being in fact it's only three chapters long. I sent out an email on Tuesday, said if you read Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you'll be done, and you're able to do that. If not, you can even still read it today, and it wouldn't take you too very long. As you're flipping over to 2 Peter, I do want to ask you a couple of initial questions. I want to ask you a couple of initial questions, and in these questions, um, the first one I want to ask you, it kind of fits in with the whole baptism, with the whole next steps um, as we celebrate it today, but the first question is simply this. If you are a Christian, why? I know you're like, wait, that's out of the gate? That's the first question you're going to ask? If you're a Christian, why? Why did you become a Christian? That's a question I asked Deacon. It's a question I've talked to Will about. It's a question I've talked to Liz about. Why did you become a Christian? Is it because you were simply afraid of hell and being a Christian is your get-out-of-hell-free card or your fire insurance card? Is that what it was? Or... Or did you become a Christian because you knew that you had heard about this life that Jesus offers that was different than the one that you were previously in? One that would lead to that eternal life in heaven in a relationship with God. One that you would walk alongside of God, walk alongside of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit in you to live a new life. Is that why you became a Christian? And then I have to ask you this. When you became a Christian, did your life change? You know, we celebrate life change. We say, this baptism is a life change. It's the old way now becoming new. Has your life changed since you became a Christian? Did your lifestyle change? Did things in your life change? Did you feel a renewed sense of purpose? The next question, I guess, would lead into that, and that is this. What is the purpose of your life? What's the purpose of your life and how do you accomplish it? Kind of like me asking the kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you're spiritually mature? What do you want to look like as you grow in Christ? You have never met a person that said, I want to live a purpose, purposeless, useless life. I want to live a life of mediocrity. That sounds great. I've never met any person that actually has said that with their mouth, but the unfortunate thing is I meet lots of people who say it with their lives. How do we get that purpose? I think everyone wants to know how to be better for themselves. I think everybody wants to know how to be better for their families. I think everybody wants to know how to take whatever next step they have for themselves in their life. But how do you get there from here? 
How do you get there from here? And the final question I have to ask you is this. Do you even want to change? Do you want to change? Our slogan that we've had since the very beginning is, come as you are, be changed, go change the world. We've said that from the very beginning, but that's a great slogan and all, unless you don't want to change. Because then it just stops to be, come as you are. But God doesn't want you just to come as you are and stay that way. He wants to change you into who he wants you to be. And I know that those are heavy initial questions to get out of the gate with. But as we dive into 2 Peter today, I'm hoping those questions, because you're already thinking about them, will be impacted in your life even today, in the decisions that you make today. So here we are, we're in the book of 2 Peter. And if I'm just going to give you a real quick wrap up of 2 Peter, it is knowing God by growing in God and showing God as you're going with God. All right? It's that simple. That is the three chapters wrapped up in 2 Peter. Last week, if you were with us, we were talking about 1 Peter, and we didn't get to cover the whole book, obviously, but we covered the, the, the premise leading up to the word, therefore. The premise leading up to the word, therefore, is we have a living hope in Christ, therefore, live like it. That, that's what that book is all about. This is written a little bit different, but to the same people and to the same challenge. That first letter says, live in light of that living hope. Live differently because of that living hope. Live in such a way that the direction of your life shows that living hope to others. Each question that I asked up front, I think, is really based on an end goal. From the starting point of when you become a Christian or why you become a Christian to the day that we die and we come into the presence of God. I, I think that each and every one of us wants to end up in a place where we can say, well done, good and faithful, or not where we can say, where God can say, well done, good and faithful servant. The thing is, is this, we all will end up somewhere. The question is, is are you going to get there on purpose? Are you going to take the necessary effort to get there on purpose? Because we all end up somewhere, it's up to us to on how to get there. We can just wander if we want, but we're never going to get to the place where we want to go because there's no purpose behind it all. Our direction, as we've said before, not our intention, is what leads to our destination. So what direction are you heading in? I was thinking about this the other day as I had to go over to the other side of town to pick up this baptismal from the Central Baptist Association. I've lived in the Albuquerque area, actually Rio Rancho, for 19 years. Uh, I believe it'll be next week. It was right after Memorial Day that we moved here. And... The funny thing is, is that when I have to go to the other side of town, I'm clueless, still. Uh, one thing I found when I moved here is if you have to go across the river, you've gone too far, okay? And so Rio Rancho believes that, Albuquerque believes that, and there's not a lot if you don't have to go to the other side. And, and in it, uh, I get lost over there easily, and I am extremely grateful for Apple Maps, I'm extremely grateful to plug in a destination and it tells me exactly how to get there. You know what my problem is though with the GPS, any GPS device that I've ever used, is it doesn't warn you in enough time if you're in the far left lane that you need to make the next right. And you go, oh, I'm in the wrong lane. Or if you turn one too early or because it doesn't quite keep up, you know, then maybe the, the technology isn't, I got older stuff, maybe that's the problem. But it's not telling you exactly when to turn. You're like, oh, I make it to right. Oh, not this right. It's the next right. What happens when you do that? What happens when you're in the wrong lane? What happens when you make a wrong turn? It generally says one word, 
Recalculating, right? It doesn't yell at you like I would if you were driving. What are you doing? You know, it doesn't say that. It simply says recalculating. And when it says recalculating, I think it kind of has this idea of, just listen to me this time. Just, just, take, just take a second and listen. I actually know what I'm doing. I know where I'm taking you. The thing is, as I laugh at that, I think that's kind of what God does in our life too. Because I think every single one of us in our lives have been in the wrong lane at some point in time. I think every single one of us in our lives have made a, a wrong turn at some point in time. Excuse me. The thing is, is we have a next step to take. And when we don't take that next step, God's like, listen, here's the destination I want you at. Here's where I want you in your life. This is how you're going to get there. We take that wrong turn, we're in the wrong lane. He says, all right, we're going to recalculate. Just like recalculating in your car, it's going to take you a little bit longer to get where you want to go. It's probably going to cost you a little bit more in gas, or now a lot more in gas. The, the reality is, is that when God calls us, he's going to say, when I recalculate, it's going to probably take a little longer to get to where we want to go, and it's probably going to cost you a little bit more. But the destination is still where we need to head. And that's what we're going to look at today. That's what we're going to look at here in 2 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, hopefully you've already had them open to you. 2 Peter, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, this is what it says. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So who is he writing to here? He's writing to Christians who have received faith through Jesus Christ. That's an important note to hold on to. Verse 2 says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So where does our grace and peace come from? It comes from God himself. How does it grow or how does it multiply in our lives? Knowing more of God, knowing more of Jesus, and not just knowing about them, not just getting intellectual knowledge, but real life-changing, intimate level kind of knowing. And growing in this knowledge is what causes us to change. Is growing in that knowledge is what allows God to work in our heart to change us into who he wants us to be. So Peter is saying here, as you know, grow. As you are knowing, keep growing. Because knowing Christians are growing Christians. Christians who know God want to continue to grow in God, to take those next steps because none of us have reached that point of the end yet. We all have a next step to take in our lives. The thing is, we talked about it last week, and we've talked about it really for the last couple of weeks with the, the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't muster up this desire on our own. We have to tap into the Spirit. We have to use the power that's been given to us. And if you remember, even as we've looked at it, that's what Peter's going to talk about in verse 3. This is what it says. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, if you're a person who writes in your Bible, if you're a person who highlights in your Bible app, this is a verse I believe would be one worth underlining, highlighting, or at least marking. Because there's so much packed into this one little verse right here. The first thing I see is, is the words divine power. Divine power. Heavenly power. Unlimited, limitless power that we have at our fingertips through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not human power because human power that we try and work up eventually will run out because there isn't enough caffeine and there isn't enough motivators in this life to get us through. 
It will eventually run out. The divine power is limitless, and we have that at our fingertips. And how do we have it? Well, it's given to us. That's the next thing we see. Given to us. Given, not earned, not deserved, not even really gifted. It's because we are needed and God supplied. We need it and God supplied. And how much was given to us? What's the next word we see? Everything. Everything. And that is cool. I don't know about you, but it wasn't like God's like, hey, I'm going to give you 80% and I need you to work really hard to get that last 20% so we can make this thing happen. No, he gave us everything that we could possibly need. And what did he give us for? What was the, the, the things that we required it for? It comes next, for life and godliness. God gives us everything we need for every part of our earthly lives to walk and grow in him. But he's also given us everything we could possibly need for our spiritual lives as well, for our love for him and our holiness to actually grow. Everything we need for every next step. When I see a baptism take place, whether it's a kid or an adult, when I see that change take place, I get so excited, but, but it's, you know, even when I talked to Deacon this morning, he's like, well, I'm nervous. I have to get dunked in front of everybody. And I'm like, no, don't be nervous. That's exciting. That's exciting. And sometimes we just can't muster up that power on our own, but when the Holy Spirit leads us and the Holy Spirit guides us, he gives us everything we need. And it doesn't just help us grow spiritually, but in every area of our lives. So God has given us everything that we need to grow, to be more like him in every part of our lives. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that something to be excited about? I mean, we already have it. It actually kind of reminds me of the story of the, of the prodigal son. We talked about it a few months back as we were walking through the ministry of Jesus. And you've probably heard it a time or a thousand before. Where you have the young son who basically goes to the father and says, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. He takes the inheritance. He runs off. He blows it. He comes back groveling, wanting to become a servant. Very short version of the parable, by the way. And in that, how does a father respond? He forgives him extravagantly. He forgives him extravagantly, and in the process of forgiving him extravagantly, the brother that stayed home, the older brother who didn't say, Dad, I wish you were dead, he was upset. He was upset. He's like, why are you doing this? As a matter of fact, let's read it from verse 29 of Luke chapter 15. It says, but he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you. And I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me that I celebrate with my friends. This attitude here, you use the word slaving, and I've never disobeyed. But when the son of yours comes home, who's devoured your assets with prostitutes, and you slaughter the fattened calf for him, son, he said, and this is a verse that I think is the one we need to see, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. I think we, like the older son, forget that he's always with us. I think we forget that everything we have is, or everything that he has is at our disposal. All we have to do is plug into it. All we have to do is tap into it. It's available to each and every one of us. We don't need to rely on our own power. We don't need to try and muster up something. All we have to do is rely on God's power, and it's limitless because he gives us everything. That's a great verse, isn't it? The thing is, it's not even done. How do we get it? Well, it goes back to that knowing. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. How do we get all of it? In knowing God on a more intimate level. To tap into that. To tap into the source. 
to, to understand the source. It's funny, I was reading this week uh, something, and, and Dave Moore, who was recently elected an elder last week, you could probably help me because you know Texas history way better than I do. But there's an oil field in the Permian Basin, and it's called the Yates Oil Field. It's one of the largest oil fields in America, and its discovery happened in 1926. 1926, there was a, a depression that was going on, and the Yates, Ira and Ann, it's actually, the town is now called Ira Ann, not Iran, in case you've ever seen that in Texas before, but it is Ira Ann, and they were living in poverty. They were living in poverty because everybody else was. They were living on government subsidies, and they had this huge ranch, but they couldn't do anything because of the depression, because of the dust bowl, because of all the things that kind of go with it. And somebody from an oil company had come to him and said, hey, we want to try drilling for oil in on your land. Now, oil wasn't expected to be west of the Pecos River, but they said, we just want to give it a shot. And so he said, hey, by all means, go ahead and do it. What do I have to lose, right? Well, at 992 feet, they hit oil, and oil gushed out of that thing, so much so they had to block up a river and create a, a holding pool for all the oil to be able to go into. As a matter of fact, it started producing 80,000 barrels a day. And even still today, about 100,000 barrels are taken from the Yates land. He was living in poverty until he tapped into the source of where he lived. Living in poverty. How many Christians are living in poverty and have not tapped into the source of Jesus Christ? Have not tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit? I know for a while our younger Marys were going through a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And in it, um, there's an excerpt from the book that I want to, to share with you that he writes about knowing God. He says this, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life to know God? What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? According to John 17, 3, the knowledge of God. What is the best thing in life, bringing more joy, more delight, and more contentment than anything else? According to Jeremiah 9, 23, the knowledge of God. What of all the states God ever sees man in gives him most pleasure? Hosea 6.6 6 says, I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offering, says God. The knowledge of God. Once you become aware that that main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Can you say that's true? Can you agree with that in your own life? Here's what we need to know about learning and growing in Him. You don't grow by trying to grow. We grow by getting to know God. If we focus on Him, when we focus on Him, when we live for Him, we will naturally grow closer to Him and then everything else will fall into place. Everything else will fall into place. If you try to go on your own, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna get stuck. You're gonna get stuck in your own thinking, you're gonna get stuck in your own power because both of those things are limited and not limitless. Your thinking and your power will run out. But when we focus on God, and we know him instead of trying to figure out our own way. And we make him the priority of our life. We make sure the relationship is with him and it's growing. If we make sure to rely on him, if we make sure to get to know him better, he's going to unleash. That power is going to overflow like that oil. 
There's going to be so much we don't even know what to do with it. He's going to unleash that in our lives and we will in turn grow. We don't need to rely on our own power to grow. He has given us, as it says, everything. Everything. So that leads me to a question I have to ask you. You know Jesus. Do you know God? Not do you know about Jesus. I assume because you're sitting in here, you know something about Jesus. If you're watching online, you know something about Jesus. It's more than that. The question I probably should have started with today and all those heavy questions right up front wasn't why you became a Christian, is are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus? Do you know him on a personal level? Are you in a relationship with him? Are you daily dying to yourself to grow closer to him? Are you following him? Do you daily depend on him? I know I'm just like rattling off questions all over the place here. Would you say that you know Jesus and not just about him? Do you know him like you would know a friend? Do you connect with him? Are you growing in your knowledge of him by reading what he has revealed to you and spending time with him? Can I just say, make sure that you do? Make sure that you know Jesus. You were made to know God and live a relationship with him. Plain, simple, period. That is the purpose of our lives. Don't leave today without knowing and trusting in God. Don't leave today without knowing and trusting in what Jesus has done. Knowing that is the most important thing you will know in all of your life. And the most important thing you'll experience if you come to him today Ask him to receive you. And then you get to join him on this amazing journey of next steps that's filled with adventure of knowing and growing in him. So one more time, for those of you who haven't been paying attention, I'm gonna ask the question, how do you grow in him? How do you grow? Jesus talks about it in John 15, 5, doesn't he? Abide in me. Stay plugged into the vine I am the vine, you are just a branch. A branch can't survive on its own, correct? It's the same thing that Peter's talking about here as we look at this. He says, we've got everything we need. So don't try and do it on your own. And then he goes into this in verse four. He says these words, by these, going back to that godliness and glory and goodness that he talks about with Jesus Christ. By these, he has given us a very great and precious promise. Not just a, very great and very precious promises, plural, that living hope that we have, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So if we tie all this up, verse three, Peter tells us that knowing God, Christians have been given everything we need to lead the life that God has called us to. We're not missing anything. There's nothing that's not in our basket. We have it all. Jesus shows us his glory. He shows us his goodness. He calls us to follow his example. And he's equipped us with the Holy Spirit to do so. But here in this verse, he says that we find in that glory, in that goodness, something more in that everything. Something maybe we didn't realize that we have. And that something more is promises. Promises. Now, these aren't empty promises that we tend to think about when we think of human promises. Promises that have limited, if no value at all. But in the context, these aren't human promises. This is the God of the universe. And the God of the universe does not lie and he does not fail to keep his word. He's coming from him. This is a promise of certainty. This is a promise of eternal currency. This is something that we can hold on to. So what has God promised us? He's promised us eternity in his family to end our suffering, 
transformation by the Holy Spirit, a purpose and meaning for the rest of our lives and the rest of our eternal lives. And then on top of all that, that thing we talked about last week, he's promised us a living hope. And these have a great, great promise and great value attached to it. Part of that allows us to participate in what he said in this verse, the divine nature. The divine nature. Basically, we're already partners in Christ and we get to work with God and in God and through God to do things in this world that he wants us to do. And more specifically, we're right now able to begin answering the call that Jesus has given us to live in that glory because he's given us the power. And check this out. We've already right now as well been given an escape from the corruption that's caused by sinful human desires. The world and all of its stuff, it wants to pull you away from God. It's getting to be a partaker in the divine nature. It's getting to to escape the garbage of the world that is literally sucking you deeper and deeper into the pit of despair. It's, It's pulling you further and further away. And now, now we get to, because we're apart with Christ, we get to live a different way of life because of the power that is in us that power that we can tap into. There's so much in these first four verses. And can I tell you, I haven't even hit the application of what we're supposed to be doing yet. This is just the intro, all right? There's so much in all of this. But here's a quick summary to go back to our intro. God's given you everything you need to live through faith in Jesus Christ to be accepted into heaven. And he's given us everything we need through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit to live until we get there. That's what we have. That is, I don't generally ask for an amen, but that should get at least one, maybe in the back of your mind, going, that's a little amen in there, here you go, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, that is what we have at our disposal. And because we have all of that, God says, take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. You literally have all the potential in the world to be changed. You literally have all the potential in the world to change the world, so do something with it. As a matter of fact, verse five says this, For this very reason, all the stuff I just told you, because of that reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. I told you up front the book of 2 Peter is about knowing God and growing in God. And we talked about those. But now in verse 5, we see our responsibility. We see our responsibility, our response to the knowledge and our response to the power to grow. And we show it in our lives as we are going into the world as Christ has commanded us. And I do want to just clarify something really quick in case you're confused at this very moment. Salvation is a free gift that is based on God's grace alone. We cannot earn it. We do not deserve it. We can't earn heaven. But we are absolutely responsible for how we live out our salvation here on earth. We are absolutely responsible. We are responsible in how we respond to what God has done in response to what God is doing and what God will do, that living hope that we've talked about. And what are we supposed to do? It says, make every effort to supplement your faith. Remember, Peter's writing to believers, including you and I, who have faith. 
faith that Jesus is who he says he is, that did what he said he was going to do, and now is the eternal living, resurrected Son of God. We have faith in that. And now, because we have faith in that, look what we get to do. Look what we get to do because God has given us the power. We get to supplement our faith. And I'm not sure how many of you in here take supplements. If you take a supplement, you probably understand it is in addition to your daily vitamin or the, the, the vitamins that are already in you or whatever food you're taking. You want to make sure you fill it completely up. It's in addition to. It's a, a, a strengthening and so he says, I want you to add these things to your faith. I want you to strengthen your faith by starting with goodness. Goodness. Some translations, if you read, has the word virtue. Either one means moral excellence. Moral excellence, purity of thought, purity of action. That's the first thing I want you to add to your faith. And I want to emphasize, get to. Because some people, when you talk to them about this moral excellence and living a morally pure life, their response isn't, oh, I get to, it's, oh, do I have to? There's a very different mindset that is there, and we have to be very aware of that in our own lives. It's, do I have to, or, oh, I get to. Because when people say, do I have to do this, or do I have to stop doing that, it's a question that, that I struggle with. I remember we would go on these mission trips when I first started out. Actually, the reason why we ended up in New Mexico is because a church that I was checking out in Hagerstown, Maryland, as a youth pastor, um, didn't like the fact that I was going to put standards in kids' lives that were going on a missions trip. That was the thing that kept me. That's how God brought me to New Mexico instead of Maryland. And you guys wouldn't have a clue who I was if, if it wasn't for that, right? But here's the thing that it was, as I said, hey, you guys, during the mission trip, as we prepare ourselves, we're going to prepare our hearts, we're going to prepare our, prepare our minds for this trip, and for the next eight weeks, we're not going to watch rated R PG-13 movies, we're not going to listen to secular music, we're not going to, and, and it was merely just to say, we need to focus on moral purity, and they're like, oh, well, do we have to? And, and the, the, that response in itself, we say it maybe differently, well, do I have to forgive? I mean, I know God said so, but do I have to? Do I have to stop drinking? Do I have to stop watching those movies? Do I have to stop listening to that music? Do I have to do everything I can to make it work with my neighbor or with my spouse or with my, do I have to? And the problem is when we ask that question, we immediately have the response in our mind, well, God will still let me into my heaven if I leave my spouse. If I hate my parents, even if I keep up with these addictions, even if I keep doing these things that I keep doing, God's going to still let me in, right? The problem with that is that reveals a heart that's about have to, that they want to hold on to that old way of life. Baptism, you once were, you buried with him, you now are. The old way is gone. Why do we want to hold on to those same old ways of thinking? Don't you want to be saved from those? Don't you want to be saved from your old life? Don't you want to be saved, period? Why do you want to hold on to those things? And I'm asking that question to myself the same way. Because we all go, do I have to? Don't we understand that in Romans chapter 6, Paul says you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Where's sin leading you as a slave? Where's it leading you? Death is right. 
He's taking you further from God. When you got saved, why would you want to hold on to that old way of life and still have sin as a master? Wouldn't you rather have righteousness and the Holy Spirit as your master who wants to lead you to life and and godliness and life change and, and purpose and meaning instead of being useless and fruitless? Isn't that what we would rather have? We should have this idea of we get to. Because even when we have the idea of we get to, when we blow it, and we will, sin will still come into our lives, we will blow it. We get to tap back into that power and ask for forgiveness, ask for repentance, ask for a change in our life and see it happen. And as we've already covered, that Holy Spirit gives us the power to escape it through Christ. So can I just give you a three-word answer that Nike overdid way back when? Just do it. Let's do it. You have all the potential in the world to be a godly man or a godly woman. You have all the potential in the world to stand out for the glory of God because the Holy Spirit is in you. Can I say, don't waste that potential? I mean, you guys all know somebody, maybe it's even your own kids, that you you see the potential in their life and they're wasting it. What is your response? Please don't waste it. God is giving you it. Use it. We all have the same potential. We've been given this. Don't waste it. Make every effort, as a matter of fact, to go do it. And then it says, add to your faith goodness, and goodness, knowledge. Here Peter's saying not just information, but information that leads to application, that leads to transformation. Make every effort. Make every effort to study God's word, understand what it says, and then do what it says. You know why? Because we get to. How many times have you woken up in the morning or maybe it's because the day's already passed, you're going to bed at night and you're like, oh, I still have to read. No, I still get to connect with God. I still get to be refreshed and renewed in this new way. Make every effort. I can guarantee in the last 16 months, people have made every effort to gain the knowledge of their political party or their political opponent. I can guarantee that people have made every effort to gain knowledge on whether a mask works or not. I can guarantee that people have gained knowledge on all things corona or anything along those lines. Like the meme said that I got, said I'm sure glad the election season's over on my social media feed so I can go, everybody can go back to being medical experts. We all have this Desire to gain. We make every effort to, to hold our position. But can I ask you, in the last 16 months, have you made every effort to know Christ better? Have you made every effort to know the word of God better? Some people I know have been believers for years and they still struggle with just quoting one verse of John 3.16. Some people I know, they can quote all the verses, but there's zero application in their life. They're not making the effort. Make every effort effort. Have you made every effort to add knowledge to this virtuous goodness of life? Add to that knowledge, the next word is self-control. The same word you see in Galatians 5 when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It has to do with mastering one's moods, one's desires, and passions rather than letting them control you. It's the discipline to say no to the things that will lead you away from the virtuous life. That good life that God's called us to, the godly life 
that God wants us to do. And sometimes we think, well, self-control, that just has to do with the extremes. But no, it's, it's the natural things that God has given us the desires for, but it's having them in moderation. I'll give you an example. I like to eat. I think all of us do. I think God gave us that desire to eat. But my problem is I like to eat and continue eating. And then I'm like, ooh, that looks good too. And continue to eat that. There's a point where you have to have self-control. I like to sleep as well. It becomes less and less when kids get up at five and you have high schoolers who want to stay up till 11. They're like, dear God, when am I supposed to sleep? I like to sleep. But some people need to understand there is a sunshine that happens. Those who are watching online, watching later in the night because you slept, we have to have self-control. I like to play. Sometimes we have to learn when not to. But also, I like to work and I have to know when not to do that as well. Shopping isn't mine, but I thought I'd just at least throw that one out there for you guys who didn't connect with any other things that I had. We have plenty of stuff, but we always want more, don't we? We have to have self-control. We have to make godly choices in the situations that we find ourselves in. And sometimes we're like, well, I'm at least better than so-and-so. That is tough. God's not asking us to be better than so-and-so. God's asking us to be like him. And that's what we have to live for. That's what we have to strive for. That's what we have to make every effort to make the godly choice and make every effort to be content in what we have. Add to self-control endurance. Some versions say perseverance. Some say steadfastness. It means patience, endurance under whatever the weight is of what you are doing right now. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever weight you've got on you to endure through it all. Can I ask you a question, another one? Because I've only asked you like 10,000 this morning. How do you pray under pressure? What do you pray for? Do you pray for comfort and ease and for that pressure to be taken away from you? For the last 16 months, what did you pray for? What was it that you wanted to change? If God could have said at the beginning of 2020, I'm going to give you everything you want for this entire year. All the things that you want, I'm going to give you the comfort, I'm going to give you the ease, I'm going to give you a better job, I'm going to give you a raise, I'm going to give you all the things that you want. And at the end of 2020, would you be different? But with all the things we dealt with in 2020, at the end of 2020, would you say that God has shaped you into something more? Absolutely, it's because you were under pressure. Too often we pray, God, remove the pressure. Remove it. I just want comfort. Because we want comfort more than we want character. Let's just be honest. When he says make every effort to add endurance, he's actually kind of saying you should pray that God gives you difficulty so he can shape you. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm reading it wrong, but that's kind of what I see. He's saying, hey, make every effort to add godliness, to add goodness, to add virtue, to add self-control, to add endurance. I don't want endurance. I want easy. We all do. That's our natural tendency. I mean, in James chapter 1, when he says, consider it all joy when you go through trials, I've never heard anybody go, oh, good, trials. Oh, good. I get to go through this because God's developing my character. Nobody's ever said that. But in the end, can we look back and say, I can see how God has shaped me? That's why he says, add to your self-control endurance and add to endurance godliness. Stay close to God. Staying close helps us develop a greater sense of his presence while we endure. 
A greater sense of his presence helps us see sin and it makes the right choice in relation to that sin. We need to make every effort to be that person. Why? Because we get to. And we've been given everything that we need to make it happen. Add the godliness, brotherly affection. The word here, Philadelphia. Anybody ever been to Philadelphia? The city of brotherly love? Ever watched a sporting event in Philadelphia? No brotherly love? It's an ironic thing to think, but what he's saying here is love one another. We have to have that thinking. We are family. It's something that we have to live by. 1 John 4.20, the one verse that really speaks to this in my mind is this. It says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, guess what? He's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. We need to make every effort, and sometimes it takes all of our effort to love somebody else, especially within the church. We need to make every effort. So the question is, is have we? And add to your brotherly affection, love. That word is agape. It's the kind of love that God has for his children. It's the kind of love that is not objective based on the object it's being given to. It is subjective based on the subject who's doing the giving. And because God is love, we're going to get that kind of love. He doesn't love us because of us. He loves us in spite of us. This is a love that we need to add to our lives. And you go, that's impossible. No, we have to tap into the power. We have to make every effort to do this. This is the love of Jesus. Jesus, as we talked about just a couple of weeks ago with Easter, people hated him, people spit on him, people beat him, people crucified him. And what did he do? He laid down his life for him anyway. Isn't that the goal of all of us, to be like Jesus? Except for that part, maybe? No, that part's included. Let me quickly wrap up because I am just rolling here. Uh, Verses 8 and 9. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. The verses that really, or the words that really stood out to me here is this. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure. In increasing measure. Are these qualities that I've read off increasing in your life? Would you say over the last six months that you love more? Would you say that you have more self-control? Would you say that, that you know, you're enduring more? Would you say that you see people in a different way over the last six months. We have to be increasing in these because the next thing is, is increasing in those keeps us being unfruitful or I like the word that it used here, useless. Nobody wants to be useless. Nobody wants to live a pointless life. On Monday, um, many of you know that our, our youngest, our glory is... Uh, been uh, determined to be profoundly deaf, so we're beginning to learn sign language. And um, one of the things that I remember learning a long time ago was the word beautiful. And the reason why it was beautiful was because of a movie called Mr. Holland's Opus. And he sings a song to his son who's deaf in the movie, and he calls him beautiful, beautiful, beautiful boy. And, and in it, I, I began to look at that, and I, I started thinking about it, and I went, oh, my, my kids would probably like that. So we pulled it up on Disney Plus and watched it on, on Monday night. And I don't know if you know about the premise of the movie, but it's, it's all about him wanting to write this opus, this grand, whole orchestrated thing. 
and it keeps getting put off and keeps getting put off because he's working with kids. And 30 plus years later, the school district cuts the, the music budget and the end of the thing, um, one of the first girls he works with happened to become the, the governor of Virginia and she says something in the middle of it all because he feels like his life hasn't done what it needed to do, like it had no purpose. And he walks into this auditorium and it's full of all the kids that he's worked with over time. And she says, Mr. Holland, this is your opus. This is who you've invested in. Your life was not pointless. Your life was not useless. This is what it's about. And we have the same thing. We have so many people we get to invest in. We have so many people we get to pour into by living in the light of that living hope. And we get to see work in us as we get to work in others. We get to see him work through us in others. He wants to change you. He wants to change your character. He wants to make us new. He wants to see us change. That's what this baptism represented. He wants to see next steps in each and every one of our lives. Maybe for you, your next step is meeting Jesus for the first time. I want to introduce you to him today. Because like I said before, that is the biggest decision, the, the biggest knowledge gaining that you'll ever have. Maybe you need to take a second step. That second step of change is, is to profess before people that, that you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you want to get baptized. Crazy thing is, I got a bag right over here. It's got all different sized clothes in it and all different sized towels. I'm ready to baptize anybody who wants to get baptized today. I know some of you are like, no, lunch. <laughs> no, we'll celebrate lunch later. Life change. If that's something you want to do, let's make it happen. Maybe you need to take that next step of repentance. Confessing that your desire to live for yourself has gotten in the way of your desire to live for God. Maybe that's the step you have to take. Maybe, maybe you need to take the step of laying down your life and serving. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but you do. Can I challenge you today that if you hear him telling you what next to take to make every effort to do it? Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for today and thank you for the opportunity to be able to just dive into your word and, and to see just the richness in, in a in a book that is, is rarely studied at some point in time, even that was questioned on whether or not it should be included in our Bible to even begin with. But God, I'm so glad it is. Because it challenges me to make every effort, to, to supplement the faith that I have in you. You've given me everything to do it. Now I just have to do it. God, help us that as we live out our days, starting right now, that we do it in the light of your glory, that we do it in the light of your living hope, that God, you change us into more of who you want us to be, even if that takes us having to develop endurance, to develop perseverance, to develop under pressure. God, if that's what it takes, then give it to us, because we want to be more like you and less like what we are right now. We pray it all in your name. Amen. I'm going to slide.